That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Okay, well, we are back for another episode of the same old song, and uh, we are knee deep in Lent, coming actually to the end. Starting to see the light at the tunnel and start to smell the chocolate bunnies in the air. And the peeps, but before we get into that, Aaron, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, we are interestingly recording this on Ash Wednesday, so Jake is actually properly attired for once. Often he's wearing all manner of baseball caps, sometimes many at one time, uh, graphic t-shirts, etc. But he looks like a proper clergyman today, as do I. We've, we're both wearing uh, dark suits, black clerical shirts. We look very Lenten, which is appropriate. Yeah. And I do have my glasses. I'm fine. I'm actually doing really well. Uh, the services today for Ash Wednesday have been really moving and powerful, as they tend to be, and uh, a lot to be lot to be grateful for. And yeah, that's all I got. What about you, Jake? How's it going in Manhattan? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I think, you know, um, I, I always, I think a lot of us tend to have a mixed relationship with Ash Wednesday. I mean, at the very heart of it, it's beautiful. And, uh, you know, it's about uh, the inside coming to the surface right on the outside, but through the sign of the cross. But also it gets treated here in New York City um, as a, it's very superstitious. And there's a lot of people running around just wanting a little, you know, dollop on their head and move on. And so, um, yeah, so it's just this kind of, I love it, I love it, I love it. And um, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. So Sima used to set the kator. Um Hey, wait, I have, a, I have a little thought I want to say, which is just to note that uh, Sister Beth Moore, formerly Southern Baptist, now in part of, um, not an Episcopal church, but an Anglican church in Houston. She's been very, not that Episcopalians are not Anglicans, we are, but a, a church that uses Anglican in its name that used to be part of the Episcopal church. Anyways, insider baseball. She's now attending this church in Houston. She's been very public on Twitter about it. And she put, just, I was touched. She said she's, uh, she tweeted, I think yesterday, how nervous she was about attending sort of, I don't know if it was her first Ash Wednesday service, but certainly her first Ash Wednesday service at a church that really does it up with the imposition yeah. of ashes and the whole thing. And she just said how nervous she was about going to church because she's never done anything like that before and she doesn't want to get it wrong. It's just, she's trying to, she, you know. She's no longer on autopilot. She really has to be attentive, and, and she's nervous about messing up in this liturgical mm. church. And I just was thinking about uh, that that is sort of true almost everywhere these days. If you're ever preaching, preachers, this is my PSA soapbox for this episode, um, never assume anybody knows anything in your services. Yeah. So uh, in terms of Bible vocabulary, theological vocabulary, liturgical vocabulary, just uh, you know, be aware that maybe... Maybe a world-famous Bible teacher has come to your church, but from a different denomination like Beth Moore and doesn't know what to do. So be gracious. That's all. End of, end of story. I've been following that very closely, and I think it's really cool. So, yeah. Pretty yeah. Um, 
Good on Beth Moore. So, um, but our readings today are... <laughs> shout out to Beth, if you're listening. Beth, if you're listening. She's worth following out. Instagram only because she posted a video of herself in the 80s doing mm. uh, an aerobics. So she did like a Christian aerobics workout. She's wearing an enormous t-shirt for modesty's sake. Uh, mm. But she is getting into it for the Lord and it's pretty, it's, it's very cute. Anyways. It's good. She's dancing like David danced. That's so right. uh, our readings today are from Joshua chapter 5 verses 9 through 12. Then we have 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. And then we are looking at everybody's favorite parable, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. 11b, don't you dare go to A, to 32. <laughs> oh, hey, before we get into the Bible, one thing I wanted to mention is for folks with two like announcement things. One yeah. is you have now basically a month before the Mockingbird Conference in New York City, hosted We're by Cameron We're already planning Georges. it. We're planning and it. And so go to ember.com, sign up. Uh, Jake and I will be doing a live recording of the podcast there. Uh, and there's just a bunch of great speakers. So make sure you sign up uh, to come to the conference. And then also, if anybody has always dreamed of living in Waco, Texas, and is a qualified uh, minister of the gospel in the Episcopal Church, uh, we will be searching for an associate rector position here at St. Albans Waco. So absolutely using my platform as the co-host of Same Old Song to advance my professional situation. So I'm, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I, you know, I think that's great, and I would love to work for you. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I So know. anybody listening out yeah. there, you know, if you're just kind of like, hmm, get your resume into your OTM into Aaron as soon as possible. So uh, we come, our first reading is Joshua chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. And... Uh, um, uh, this is a very uh, interesting passage. Uh, the, the Israelites there, are uh, they're coming into the land. Uh, the people of Canaan, the Canaanites and all of them, are uh, caught off a little guard. But um, earlier in this chapter, uh, Israel um, uh, circumcises themselves. They haven't done this in a while. And uh, this, is, uh, this is basically the context that we enter into. Uh, circumcision is the setting. Um, which the way you said so that, funny. they haven't circumcised themselves in a while, it makes me think like, we did it once, but we didn't get yeah, yeah, a little, little bit of foreskin left. They, they haven't no. done it at all. They so haven't anyway. been keeping up with the practice for the newbies mm, that have been yeah. added to their number. So there's, a, there's a lot of foreskins in the background. And so anyway, they're On the they cutting are. room floor. It's about to happen. Yeah, it just happened. It's been a bloody day. So anyway, um, there they are. Uh, but it's into this midst, and into the into the midst of this that uh, God speaks to Joshua, and uh, basically opens it up. And I think really, I mean, maybe maybe uh, your parishioners aren't facing a bloody day like the Israelites are outside, like in Canaan. But uh, what this is basically all about is this isn't about them like kind of re-embracing their Jewishness and, uh, and uh, doing things before the law finally for the first time. This is what's, what's happening here is they are identifying and being identified with God's promise because the symbol of the promise was the, uh, to Abraham was circumcision. And the promise was is that this would be your land and that he would be the father of many nations from this place. The land of Canaan would be his descendants' land. And here we have this uh, kind of, this all culminating right here in this moment. And so that they've rolled away the disgrace of Egypt, not only slavery, but uh, their, lack of, um, their lack of observance of this wonderful promise, because apart from the promise, there's nothing but disgrace. 
And here they come, and God, the, the point is, is that God is faithful to his promises. And sometimes we don't see it. And sometimes we do experience and it, and like these Israelites, it's extremely painful. But God is the one providing, and he is providing for Israel, and he's brought them to this moment where he's fed them for 40 years in the wilderness, and now he's providing for them through the fat of the land. But whatever's going on, and sometimes it takes a long time, God is always faithful to that promise. Aaron, what would you say about that? Uh, one, I always have a thing where I want, if I preach on a passage, I want people to understand if there's any like reference to words, unfamiliar mm. words. Uh, you know, to my point at the top of the podcast, Gilgal is a Hebrew word that means roll or wheel or something rolling, kind of rolling, rolling, rolling. And so it's also used to refer to a place where they erect a circle of stones like Stonehenge or whatever when, you know, when they cross through the river and they have the 12 stones. Anyways, so just know when he's like today, I've rolled away from you the disgrace of Egypt. Gilgal means wheel or rolling, something like that. So that's what that's about. Uh, the thing that I love about this passage is the way it talks about transition moving from one phase of life to another and moving from a place where you were eating manna every day to then mm. eating the produce of the land and how in some sense uh change moves sometimes changes happen to something that feels harder like eating the produce of the land means they're gonna have to farm and get back into agriculture again uh and which would have been painful you know they they mm. don't have those calluses anymore but um, it's just another way of God providing. And sometimes we think the way God should provide is to have something like manna. Just I'm asking God for something. I want it to drop into my lap. But sometimes God provides in ways in which we are involved so, to some extent. Uh, it's no less miraculous, God's provision. But sometimes you have to farm and you, sometimes you have to cook uh, the crops. You have to grind the wheat into flour and all that sort of stuff. So just... And I think as a congregation, wherever you're speaking to, you're, pe you're speaking to people who are moving from one kind of life, pandemic life, to another kind of post-pandemic, but still kind of in it, whatever, economic fallout. We're recording in the early days of the Russian war with Ukraine. By the time you listen to this podcast, listeners, who knows where we'll be with that, but certainly the financial implications are there. Gas so there's will be $27 this... a gallon. <laughs> yeah. So. Gas will be pricey bread will be pricey commodities will be pricey because of the the rising oil prices and how all that trickles down anyways anyways and there's also the other things that we you know the unexpected turns of events that we're not even thinking about that will happen between now and then all i to say is everybody you're speaking to is in a transition and sometimes when you go from manna quote unquote everything's easy to making your own food everything's hard it doesn't mean that God is not with you or not providing. He's still there with you. So that's something that I might talk about. But although we all know that since the parable is the one of the prodigal son, that's what we're all preaching on anyway. So let's mm -hmm. maybe move on from Joshua. Yeah. So uh, Second Corinthians. Hey, by the way, I don't want to be flippant about the Old Testament. It is yeah, the yeah, word no, of God, no. and I'm not. Yeah. I, I, so, I retract my comments. Anyways, in, move it. Sorry, in, su in summary, uh, there are transitions in life. Uh, in summary, sometimes transitions can make things harder and feel harder. But God is always faithful to uh, his promises to you and uh, will never leave you or forsake you. Amen. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Well, this is just uh, an amazing passage as well. Um, and uh, where, uh, you know, basically uh, Paul is talking about the ministry of a Christian and the ministry that this church has. And uh, 
Um, and I, I think this is a great text. What, what, you know, if I wasn't preaching on the prodigal son, I might preach on this. What would you say yeah. about it? So here's the, everyone's in new Christ, is, is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away and everything has become new. And there's a lot of beautiful language about the reconciliation that we have with God through Christ. This is like almost a foretaste of Easter, which is coming up obviously very soon, this ministry of reconciliation. Uh, and the the final verse, verse 21, is the you know, center point in the gospel of this idea of imputation, God making someone who wasn't sinful, Jesus Christ, to be sin, to have our sin on him, that we might then become the righteousness of God, have that be imputed to us, the whole logizomai Greek part here. And so, but my, but I think one thing that, so I've given you kind of all the bullet points of this passage, things you could talk about. But one thing that I would be tempted to address if I were preaching this passage is verse 17, that thing like everyone is in Christ, who is in Christ is a new creation. Because that verse is used so often to say that once you have become a Christian, you should sin less and less and less until you reach a point where you're not sinning anymore because you are a new creation. Um, and that is what's called an over-realized eschatology, meaning you're Ooh. thinking that you're thinking that inside baseball. I know it does. I don't use that term either, but that's basically thinking that you will, you have arrived today at something which you actually will not arrive until the Lord mm. completes his work on you at the new creation, the of heaven and earth. So I think uh, the, the one thing I would say is from a human point of view, which Paul talks about in verse 16, mm. we, we don't regard people from a human point of view, meaning we know that they are in Christ and they that's are a new creation that. and they have been, their righteousness has been imputed to them. But mm. from a human point of view, which still is what's going on. Looks we a are, little messy. We were, we were, simul, were simultaneously justified and sinners. Simul justus et peccator. And so if anyone has ever used verse 17 of 1 Corinthians, the second of Second Corinthians, sorry, to tell you that you are a new creation, therefore you should stop sinning, or you're a new creation, you shouldn't be anxious anymore, you're a new creation, you shouldn't struggle with this thing anymore. Just mm -hmm. say, no, no, no. From a human point of view, this side of heaven and the return of our Lord, I will continue to have these issues, more, less, ins and outs, ups and downs, etc. But from a divine point of view, yes, I am a new creation. So don't over-realize your eschatology uh, and just know that in this earthly life, we are both sinners and justified fully in Christ at the same time. Um, and we, that's what reconciled, like, but we're okay. We're good because we are reconciled to God and Christ. And that's what we communicate to everybody that they too are sinners. They too are loved and they too are reconciled. So that's a mouthful. That's what I would say. Yeah. I think uh, it's important to uh, remember in this particular passage, uh, uh, who's doing the verbs and uh, the protagonist, uh, the protagonist of this particular passage. And it's not you. It's uh, yeah. what God does, and he's the one who makes you a new creation. He's the one where everything old is passing away, and everything is becoming new. Um, you yeah, know, absolutely. all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And uh, even our, the, our ministry of reconciliation is not ours. You know, it's rather the ministry of reconciliation is the proclamation of this gospel. And that mm -hmm. is that God is reconciling the world, to not counting our trespasses against him. You know, that is what we're sent to preach. And that's what it means to be an ambassador for God, for Christ. Um, you know, I think I've, sh we've sh I've shared this illustration a couple of times when it's come up, but it's really good. Uh, we, uh, you know, the idea, an ambassador never shares their own message. 
An ambassador delivers the message of the president. The ambassador delivers the message of a particular king. And we as ambassadors aren't to deliver like basically our opinion and life tips. We deliver this message of reconciliation. That is God reconciling the world through Christ. And that really is the heart of the gospel. And the heart of the gospel and the heart of the entire Christian faith is that God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you yep. know, that, uh, that, that, um, this, this passage, this particular passage, you may want to just say something passing about it. Uh, as people kind of are coming to the end of Lent and they've like failed and they bombed or they, they happen to be doing, doing really well at what they're doing. And just to be reminded that, man, uh, ultimately what this is about is about reconciliation, being reconciled back to God through Christ. Uh, and that's our ministry and our message. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's so many just banana statements in this passage that are so good. One of my favorites is in verse 19, that God doesn't count our trespasses against us. That in Christ, God was not counting people's trespasses against them. So many people really see God as up there in heaven with some sort of clipboard, uh, writing down people's sins and uh, rating their performance uh, and... Here it says that God's work is not counting people's sins against them. And I think that's just, that's a message that's so powerful. And obviously we'll see it in the Luke 15 passage where the father in the story, in this parable representing God, does not count his son's really egregious, flagrant sins against him. So I think, you know, I would absolutely remind the people in the congregation, do you have sins? Great, because God doesn't remember them he's decided not to count them against you you're completely off the hook that's what this passage says and i gosh i wish i wish churches preachers christian bookstores or whatever authors i wish they talked about this message a lot more that god doesn't count our sins against us because christians largely in the world today sadly are known as people who absolutely think that god is counting people's sins against them mm -hmm. and uh and so they better straighten up otherwise mm -hmm. uh the lightning bolts will be hurled. So that's, I mean, this passage is incredible. Well, I love it. The ministry is reconciliation. And it, becomes, not and, it, and, and it becomes the lens to understand the gospel. It absolutely. becomes the lens by, you know, God reconciled. Because the, this particular parable is not, I mean, there's, this is the story of two prodigal sons. And, yeah. uh, and uh, if you, the, the important thing is right here in verse one, this tells you who Jesus is telling this story to. He's not telling it to a group of like, you know, um, you know, prostitutes who just, you know, need to be encouraged and know that God's with them. You know what I mean? This this particular story and it begins with two parables before the, the lost coin and the lost sheep. So it's like kind of this idea of expanding import, importance, but it's told directly to the Pharisees and the scribes who were grumbling at the fact that Jesus is doing this very thing that uh, uh, St. Paul has spoken about reconciling the world to himself yeah it's uh it's the story of you know as you said it comes after the lost coin the lost sheep and these are the lost sons and um so you, yeah you picture pharisees religious people pastors as well as all these sinners it's a, just kind of a grab bag of humanity and he tells a story about his father with two sons and the son who wants to leave, so the younger says, give me the share of my property that will belong to me. Important to note that this father would have not had a bank account that he could drain. He didn't go to the ATM. He didn't even cash out his retirement savings. 
um, the store of wealth in the first century would have been livestock and real estate. Mm -hmm. So to give him the share of his inheritance, he would have had to sell his property, which would have been done in a very public fashion in this village. It would have been some sort of market where this took place. And people would have said, why are you selling this really valuable stuff? Well, my son wants the money. And it's also a sense of saying, I, you're, I wish you were dead. Yeah. Because normally the only way the son would get this is when the son died. So the son is saying, cut to the chase um, and give me my inheritance now. I, you know, Basically, you're dead to me. So it's a really yeah. offensive, hurtful, and public humiliation for this father. I mean, the property that he had would not have been divided into lots that were, would have been easy to sell. He would have had to, again, publicly go to some sort of you know, go down to City Hall and have the property divided and uh, have surveyors come out and all this sort of thing. So yeah. just that verse 12 is a long, difficult, expensive, complicated public process of the father showing the whole world, my son wishes I were dead, and I'm laying over and doing what he asks like a, you know, just I'm not I'm not standing up to him. I'm not having a good boundary. I'm doing what he says. So that's what's sort of amazing about this whole thing, that he is willing to go along with it. And this I'm teaching right now through First Samuel, which, by the way, so is John Zoll over in uh, the, the diocese in New York. Uh, and one of the things that you see in First Samuel is that the people of Israel ask for a king even though God is their king. They basically say, God, you're pretty great, but we'd rather have we, – we'd, like we'd like to date other people, and we'd like to have our own king. And it's absolutely a sin, and God's like, but okay, fine, you know. Let this be a process through which you learn, and God works through that ultimately to bring about King David and precursor to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ. So there's yeah. something in here about God. Um, what we see about the character of God is, you know, again, we always picture God as through preaching or because we've heard this in sermons, or we picture God because of movies as this like angry tyrant in the sky who, when we even think about sinning, he wants to strike us dead. And here, the son flagrantly convinces, uh, commits a sin against the father, and the father's like, okay, like I'll go along with you. Let's see where this goes. It's just an amazingly gracious picture of God that's so counter to what we normally see. I think, yeah. Well, and, and that's because oftentimes our views of God are shaped by our own father. Um, I... Uh, I forgot uh, the historian, and I was trying to look it up right now, um, who was talking about uh, the cultural context of that even today, like in Bedouin societies. I mean, you go across the Middle East, historically, if a son ever requested this of his father, uh, and actually in order to uh, save his honor, the father would be required to kill that son immediately. You know, I mean, this is like, I mean, what the boy is asking for is not just... Uh, is not just, you know, a little extra pocket money so he can go do what he wants. He's asking for his father to be dead. And uh, he is, uh, I mean, and this is such an act of shame. The only thing more shameful would be to hang on a cross. You right. know what I mean? And uh, naked and die. And so, I mean, this is one of the types and shadows that you are finding in here. And so, so he gets what he wants and he uh, goes off to Vegas. You know, he goes yeah. off to... Uh, you know, Dubai, Habibi, and uh, and he goes and he does his thing. And, uh, well, like all of those things, it doesn't go very well, does it? He winds up. No. And the the real, I mean, you know it's it hits an all-time low because this is a Jewish boy. 
and uh, and he is uh, so hungry that he uh, he longs for the pods that the pigs eat. So the food that he's actually forbidden from eating because it's considered unclean, uh, he is so desperate. He reaches a point of desperation, the very below rock bottom, that he's willing to eat the food of unclean animals. Yeah, it's pretty low. The fact that he's already working feeding pigs, even associating with them, being in contact with them, uh, is already shows he's given up all his principles. And now he, right. the one last shred of a principle he had, that has gone too. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I um, just as you tell your congregation this story, there's a lot of moments where they should gasp. And mm-hmm. if I were preaching this, which I am, I might say at the beginning of my sermon, let's practice clutching our pearls and gasping in horror <laughs> yeah. and have everybody do it and then say, I'll tell you when to do it. So the first time is when the son says, give me my share of the property. That's a clutching your pearls and gasp. <gasps> and then when he divided his property between them, <gasps> because no good father would do that. Like, how, how could he just lay over and, and give this and then so, and then squandered his property and just living? <gasps> Like, so now three times in two verses, you've already clutched your pearls, and then you're going to do it again when he feeds the pigs, and you're going to do it again that he wants to eat the pigs. So this is like such a shocking, offensive story. At every turn, people are doing the wrong thing, and then he's going to say, this is what God's like. Yeah, and uh, and but here we come. And so and I love the son. So when he hits the very bottom, he relates to God like all of us want to typically relate to God, naturally relate to God. He says, uh, he goes, I know what I, I will do. I'll get up and go to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. Totally. Correct. Mm-hmm. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Totally. Correct. Treat me like one of your hired hands. Aha. Now here's the natural way we relate in religion. Uh, let me work back into your good graces. You know what I mean? Let me work for you. And uh, this, is, this is not the ministry of reconciliation that St. Paul talks about in the previous passage, uh, but this is the way the world thinks. You know what I mean? You do bad, you better work to get back into God's graces. And so he sets off with his uh, whole plan intact, you know what I mean? Ready to uh, lay out his plan for works righteousness, his way to kind of get back into the, if you will, some, even, you know, I don't want to be, I just want to be in the narthex, you know what I mean? I don't want to be <laughs> the in lobby. The, I don't want to be in the chancel. I just, you know, I'm heaven forbid. And man, before he even can do it, the father sees him off in the distance. It's like the dad's been waiting the whole time. Mm. And uh, the father runs to him. The father runs to him and uh, and then proceeds to do several things which illustrate the gospel. Uh, you want to say anything about that? Yeah. Well, first, the fact that he sees him while he's still far off means he's on the roof of the house looking for him. Uh, there, there wouldn't have been a way to do this otherwise in the way these towns were constructed with, they typically were walled cities. Uh, and so, um, his father hasn't forgotten about him. His first emotion is compassion, the father for the son. And he does something again. This is another pearl clutching moment on verse 20. He ran Mm -hmm. because again, men don't run for nobody. Don't run. And in the United States, where we have lost all sense of decorum uh, and appropriateness and etiquette in polite society, whereas in the 1950s when people traveled, they would wear clothes and now they wear pajamas. <laughs> so we've kind of lost this. Like we're a sh- all like shorts all day, every day, 365 days a year, shorts and t-shirt uh, and like, you know, 
we have our good flip flops for special occasions. That's kind of where we are now. As a My leather Tevas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The good Tevas. Uh, so there are still cultures, though, that have a level of formality and appropriateness that's based on kind of your rank in society. Every time I visit my family in Mexico, it's starting to change, uh, but men never wear shorts. And it's like so hot down in Yucatan, but they never wear shorts. There's some sort of appropriate attire in public. Europeans are kind of like this too. And anyways, all that to say is in Middle Eastern culture in the first century, an important dignified landowner like this father would never run. Because to run, you have to gather up your robes. You're wearing these long garments, which don't allow you to run. You sort of have to hike up your britches. Um, And it would have been seen as an undignified thing. Uh, And... To run, to run it means he's he's throwing all that out the window. The father is just completely consumed with joy to see his son. He doesn't care about how he looks or who's laughing at him or how undignified he may appear, and he's just running to him. Absolutely. And he puts his arms around him and kisses him, which is which would defile him from a religious point of view because the son is unclean. Everybody knows what he's been doing out there in Vegas. He, they, so he would have been unclean from that. He would have been unclean from being close to pigs. He would have looked just physically dirty. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because the father says, put a robe on him and put shoes on him, meaning he's barefoot, he's nasty. And, uh, and so he, but so the father to touch him would have made him unclean. Yeah. The only thing care. more, the only thing more shameful would be a cross. I can't. Uh, you know, I mean, in this, like in this regard, I mean, this is, this is a pearl clutching moment. You're absolutely right. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and before he can even get the words out, the father is saying, one, bring the robe, the best one, a.k.a. like a symbol that he is, uh, um, he's not a hireling. He's in the inner circle. But the real thing is, is that he's given uh, a ring on the finger, like a family crest, which says, like, man, you have the authority of a son. And uh, that's like, once again, we lose those things. Um, in our culture, but that was something that was like an inheritance. That meant you carried the authority of a father, and sandals on. You see feet. these with those those gold rings that dudes in South Carolina wear on their pinky finger. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And uh, but sandals on his feet, which means he's not a slave, um, but rather he is a person of dignity and importance. And then yep. finally, the most important thing is getting the fatted calf and kill it, and let us celebrate. Now, this is one thing. Uh, because this isn't just a meal for everybody, but in the killing of the fatted calf, this would have, and the bringing of the community around a meal, this would have reconciled. So through the death of a calf, I mean, a death of an animal, uh, the son now is reconciled to a community. Um, I feel like you're is, hinting at something, Jake. I totally am. What and, could it uh, be? Well, what do you think? But uh, he, uh, he, uh, he's no longer lost, but he's finally, he's been found. And that's kind of the culmination and they begin to celebrate. Yeah, I love how the how he's trying to make his speech in verse 21. And we know, because he's rehearsed it, we know what <laughs> yeah. the full speech is. And the father's like, does what my mom does. Like, bup, bup, bup. My mom says, bup, when she's, she's like, bup, bup, bup. So she kind of just cuts him right off and says, no. Like, I don't, this is the thing. When we come to God to repent, we often feel like we have to get the words perfectly right. We have to feel totally sincere. We have to have all the things in order to get God to forgive us. We make a work out of repentance. But here again, we see this father. There's an old prayer in the Episcopal prayer book, which we get from our uh, history in the Church of England, uh, where there's something called the prayer of humble access, which is said before receiving communion. 
and we say we are not worthy to uh, you know, receive the crumbs under your table. But thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. And this is the kind of verse that that points to that attitude, that attribute of God. It is mm. always God's uh, um, property to have mercy. And uh, he doesn't he he doesn't wait for the sun to finish his groveling. Mm. He doesn't say, "Okay, I feel like you've you've uh, you've rehabilitated yourself." To quote Arlo Guthrie in Alice's Restaurant, and now I forgive you. It's none of that. It's just <laughs> put the robe on, put the ring on, put the shoes on, and uh, and let's kill the calf and have a big party. Mm-hmm. So the forgiveness is so complete. It's so full. Like the father has no bruised ego. There's no requirement for groveling or any of that. And it's just it's this beautiful picture. And then, then we get you know. So this is this, the point. So the yeah the the second son, the older son, hears the music in the distance. He hears Cisco. Uh, the the strains of a very appropriate hip hop song just coming out over the fields, and uh, Jake is Jake is quivering with laughter. It would be amazing if it was Cisco. <laughs> so uh, he hears it and he reacts like many people did at the Super Bowl halftime show with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and Eminem and Mary J. Blige and Fifty Cent when they were like, this isn't the kind of halftime show. I, I'm indignant. This is not what I showed up for. Jake is looking confused. Yeah, there were a lot like, of people in my it. neck of the woods that were not as happy. They were like, we want Kid Rock. Oh, that was uh, funny. It was like there was one great meme. All the people that didn't Lee like Greenwood. the halftime. Yeah. All the yeah. people that didn't like the halftime show and they all had like scraggly beards and make America great hats. <laughs> yes. No offense. No offense to our many no diverse offense, political listeners. Just know that they were like, oh, this isn't good music. But um, I loved it. I thought it was anyway, good. yeah. So, I but mean, the who son didn't want to see who's out in the field. upside down. So, I know. I'm sorry. I yes. Care. So, he's, anyway, yes. this son comes back and he's not. He hears the music and he's indignant. He's offended. And uh, what's going on? And he says, You're, you know, your brothers come home. Your father's killed the fatted calf. And this son is irate he won't even go into the house uh and he says you know basically the he's he has a list of grievances for his father he's like i've been here slaving away and you haven't ever given me a single goat to have a party with my friends and here now this total jack wagon has come back after offending and bringing shame upon the whole family and you just roll out the red carpet for him and uh and basically the point here is there's two ways to be lost you can be lost as a, um, you know, going to Cabo and uh, living like a rock star. And you can be lost and empty that way. Or you can be lost and empty by staying home and mm. being a total moralist. And yeah. in both situations, the sons have the same sin. That is, they think their father's love is conditional and based on good behavior. The younger son rejects that and rebels in a way, but he still thinks he has to earn back his father's love because he thinks it's conditional. That's why he makes the speech and his plans to grovel and all that sort of stuff. The older son thinks it's conditional and he thinks he's met all the conditions. And he, but clearly he doesn't know his father because he thinks that, uh, he thinks he has to earn his father's love. And so we don't get the end of the story. It leaves us on a cliffhanger. Um, we don't find out whether the older son has his moment of repentance and coming in. Um, but we see that there are two ways to be lost, and everybody in your congregation is one or the other, or has been both at different times in their lives. Um, and I think the message for both is this word at the end, 
you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. I basically, I love you, and uh, and of course, as Jake has been alluding to over and over again, like this all points to the the Son who goes mm-hmm. to the cross, who endures the shame for us, so that the Father can welcome us home with open arms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, this is just one and, of the most preachable passages in the whole Bible. And uh, the w- the way to be found is to die, <laughs> and you know what I mean. I mean, that's that's the way to be found is to. Uh, die to our abilities to earn it, um, to die to our, I mean, essentially that's what the father's saying. He's like, this, you know, your younger brother's dead. Um, I'm dead because I gave him the inheritance and yep. um, come join us and die and yeah. uh, be a part of the party. And, uh, you know, and so, yes, you're absolutely right. There's a, there's a prodigal in all of us, uh, the prodigal partier or the prodigal pious. Uh, but uh, the one way to be fa- the one place, the one way God finds us is uh, in death. And uh, the great thing is, is that death doesn't have the final say. Actually, as Saint Francis reminds us, he becomes a gentle friend that leads us into the party, and uh, where we are truly um, around a fatted calf. Well, not a fatted calf, but the lamb that was slain, reconciled mm. to our neighbors, and uh, and um, and uh, enjoying uh, a heavenly banquet where we celebrate the bridegroom who's finally claimed his bride. With, I like to think, like a bucket of buffalo wings. Yeah, well, that definitely will be there for sure. Boneless. Uh, hey, so just a final thing to our listeners, preachers. I always, you know, if you're a preacher who plans six months ahead, great. But just a heads up, Palm Sunday is coming. Make sure you have your passion readers lined up if you haven't already gotten them. And uh, mm. and uh, we're praying for you and your ministry because it's a busy season coming up with uh, um, mm. Palm Sunday, Holy Week, etc. cetera. Mm. Uh, may the Lord be with you in your ministry. And uh, pray for Jake. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it, please. So, <laughs> and praise the Lord. And, uh, you know, and remember Aaron on Thursdays. <laughs> See you guys in New York, hopefully, ember.com. And uh, if you want to work for me, send me your resume. Amen. Bye. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.